Hey folks, welcome back to the Uncivilized Podcast. This is Trevor Bohm, your host. And man, do I have an incredible episode for you, an incredible guest. We've had a lot of new people to the podcast, so let me introduce myself. I said, my name is Traver. I'm the founder of the Uncivilized Movement. I'm also the author of two separate books, one called Today I Rise, which is a journey through and how to use the pain of any breakup or divorce, how to use that pain to radically transform your life. And then the book that started this all and put us all on the map is called Man Uncivilized. And that is a guidebook for any man, even though it's been read by a lot of women as well, on how to marry the primal aspects of masculinity with the divine aspects of masculinity. It's the only book I know of that works with both and gives men that third option of how to be in the world that is both primal and connected to something bigger than us. And no, it's not a book about religion. You can get either one on Amazon. Uh, please do. The uncivilized movement, you guys, I know this is early January. At the end of the year, we exploded. Uh, if you're new to the podcast and you don't know who we are, we were a men's group that went from having about 10, 12 groups all over the world to doubling that just at the end of the year. From literally being like, wow, we are, we are in a couple different places to every single day, we're now getting emails from men saying, hey, I want to start a men's group. And not only that, I want to be a part of the uncivilized movement and start an uncivilized men's group. So things have been wild. And this podcast is the main place where I get to speak to all of you, to teach, to share, to talk about what's coming up, to talk about what we're doing. To, to share the uncivilized philosophy, the uncivilized mindset. Because y'all, this isn't just something that we put on t-shirts. This isn't something we just put on, on our walls. This is a lifestyle. This is how we as men live every single day. We follow the uncivilized ethos. We follow the tenets. We follow the teachings of our mentors. Like we, this is a very particular way to live that goes against the standard collective unconscious that we see play out all over the world every single day. So if you're new to the podcast, welcome aboard. You got an incredible episode to join us with. If you're not, I love you guys. Thank you so much for your support over the years. We have grown by leaps and bounds, both here in the podcast as well. Before I dive into today's guest, one of the things we did towards the end of the year, thanks to president of the organization, Dave Boyd's organizational skills, is we got all of our events open for registration by December 1st. So please, if you were interested in any of our Kill the Nice Guy workshops, our big yearly men's initiation, the five-day workshop with Michael and Dewey, where we heal, we grow, we transform, like that is a, our powerhouse workshop. And as of now, we're only going to have one this year. So the initiation, a father and son initiation this summer, Dave's Heroes Journey Workshop for First Responders and Veterans, any of our events, a How to Work with Men workshop that Dewey and I are leading for therapists, for coaches, for anybody, please go to manuncivilized.com forward slash events. Because of our organizational skills that Dave brought us, we've sold a lot of those workshops. They're, they're already half full. So please, if you're interested in working with us in person this year, and in person is where the juice is, Go to manuncivilized.com forward slash events. Okay, let's talk about today's guest. Today's guest is none other than Halleck Gracie. Pronounced Halleck. The R is not an R in Portuguese. So please don't call him Raylick. 
or he will choke the fuck out of you. Halleck Gracie. And I met Halleck at Robert Wunderlich's jiu-jitsu school because he came in to teach a workshop. And if any of you have been to a jiu-jitsu workshop, you usually walk in and then for the next two hours get bombarded with technique after technique after technique. This technique leads to that technique, which leads to this defense. And it's kind of like you, you're drinking out of a fire hose for two hours and then you leave. With Halleck, it was completely different. He actually said, I'm not going to teach you a single technique. I'm going to talk about and show you concepts in jiu-jitsu that have been there in front of you all along that you're most likely missing. And for the next two hours, he just went over basic stuff, but in such a deep and profound way that it significantly shifted my jiu-jitsu game. It's literally like if you're in a, a, a carpenter and someone's like, hey, did you know that there's different ways to use the hammer? And you're like, bro, I use the hammer every day, all day. But that was how profound it was. And I was so also taken aback by how deeply introspective Halleck felt, how he taught quietly, he taught slowly. There was a different cadence to him. He was grounded in a way that most men I know are not. And it was just completely moving being in his presence. I then had the opportunity to do a couple private sessions with him, Robert, and some other guys, and got even more of this somatic experience of Halleck Gracie. And was, again, very moved by how he thinks and how he talks, how his mind works in different ways that I had never heard jujitsu explained. And so I immediately knew I wanted to have him on the podcast, not just to talk about jujitsu but actually to talk very little about jiu-jitsu, but to talk about things that are near and dear to him, authentic expression, the human nervous system, how to survive a violent encounter, the difference between tension and relaxation and how that affects men differently, and so much more. His, his venture into filmmaking, how the, the, the bravery and courage and wherewithal it took to step away from the standard Gracie path. And for, you, for those of you who don't know the Gracies, this is, this is jujitsu royalty, right? This is all that is assigned to this man at birth, was you will do jujitsu, you will lead jujitsu, you will be a jujitsu world champion, you will eat, breathe, shit, think, marry, all day long jujitsu. And instead, he became a filmmaker, which to me, and I know this is a branded term, is one of the most uncivilized things you can do is actually to step out on your own path. But what's so beautiful here is how Halleck actually says doing that made him actually go back and appreciate where he came from and incorporate where he came from. Okay, enough about me talking about him. This interview is fantastic. I loved it. I know you're going to get a lot out of it. I'm going to ask you one final favor before opening. If this podcast moves you, two favors, please share it with another man in your life. There are principles in here that I know will help men. It will help uncivilized men. And two, if you wouldn't mind, I know this is basic. Please go to iTunes, go to Spotify, go to wherever you're listening and leave us a review. I know it'll take two minutes out of your time, but trust me, this is how we grow the podcast. This is how we grow the uncivilized movement. This is how we reach our mission of reaching a million men, getting them to express their primal, their masculinity through the primal and the divine so that we can end the unnecessary suffering in men and end the unnecessary suffering caused by men. That's a mouthful. It's a big goal. 
It's almost like getting a black belt in jujitsu. Without further ado, my friend and brother, Alec Gracie. Alec Gracie, welcome to the Uncivilized Podcast. This is a true pleasure to have uh, to have you in. I didn't want to like pitch this when I trained with you, but in my head the whole time, after doing this first workshop, I was like, I want to talk to this man. I want to figure out some of the things swirling around when you stop, pause, and go, hmm, and then give some profound piece of advice that to most people, I imagine, has nothing to do with jujitsu, but radically changes their jujitsu game. So thank you for joining. For people who may not know who you are, would you mind giving us sort of the standard quick and dirty, I'm Halleck Gracie? Yeah, uh, the Gracie family was primarily responsible, I think, for kind of a whole new era in the the martial arts world of just kind of, you know, evolution and revolution really for uh, ground fighting, uh, but also kind of connecting ground, standing to ground defense and self-defense, starting, you know, with my grandfather and my great uncle Carlos in Brazil my father moving to America and creating the UFC and then us kind of growing up in Southern California uh, as kind as kind of this royal family of jujitsu. And then, you know, me personally coming to terms with that, uh, I was always very much the black sheep of the family, I think is how people would describe me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think what's ironic about that is I feel like I was just really trying to be as as authentic as possible with what I think my predecessors, the energy that they came with and mm. you know, the fire that they had in their bellies mm. as far as the way that they were approaching their mission. Mm. And we inherited a lot of that, you know, energetically and karmically. And it was kind of making sense of that. And so mm. that's, I guess, the short, the short <clears throat> answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have, I have so many questions around that. You, you said the word growing up sort of jujitsu royalty, and I get that. That's how I, I would view your family as well. I'm curious, what was unroyal about it? Not just the weight of, okay, this is the specific path that I'm supposed to follow, but if you're open to, to speaking sort of honestly, like what wasn't awesome about growing up a Gracie? Well, when you when I say royal, I mean that quite literally at this point that there's actually a the the way that our family is positioned. If you look at the ways that, you know, if you look at like the Saudi royal family or you look at the the kind of the ways in which those structures are developed, like we're so implanted in the culture of martial arts and in jujitsu and there's so many family members mm-hmm. that I'm quite literally saying that it was that there's you know, it's kind of, and when you say royal, that that doesn't necessarily mean something positive or beneficial inherently. That just that just means that we have this huge t- mission that we're on, that we're all kind of catapulted into this position of leadership. And yeah, there's a, I mean, obviously there's books written about, you know, how there's tremendous downside to that as well, right? In mm-hmm. terms of just having a peaceful personal life you, you pretty much have to fight for that, you know? Mm. So I, there's, you know, you're, you have a lot of stuff that is projected on the world stage that isn't necessarily fact, but, but mm. you, yeah. So there's, I mean, there's a whole list, you know, it's just kind of where you want to get started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alec, for you personally, 
were there times and I know this may be a loaded question that you wish you were, you know, Halleck Smith or Halleck Johnson and you just got to train jujitsu or even pick a different, like, oh, I wanted to be a stamp collector or a surfer or a, a poet or a writer or something. Were there, were there times or and maybe even the, the question is first, were there? And then question two, how early was that? How early was that pressure felt for you? Where you got to differentiate yourself from the expectation and say, nah, maybe uh maybe I want to go the ballet route as opposed to the jujitsu route. Yeah, man. I, I think that that's the exact notion of the hero's journey is that ultimately you have to you have to kind of detest what it is that you think you are mm. or to find who you truly are. You yeah. know, you have to you have to walk <laughs> away from what you're handed. And that was my path, you know, and so I'm, I'm very much the prodigal son in that sense, in terms of my path, mm. you know, where I was going to, I was going to be a rapper, I was going to be so many other things other than a Gracie following the path. And what ended up happening was the more that I've moved away from who I thought I was, the more I actually really came to understand how to true like authentically step into my um call it my duty you know mm -hmm. within this family within this kind of whole archetype of of being this you know family with this warrior artistry mm -hmm. as part of our as part of our lineage and our destiny you know so i think that yeah that was exactly the plan was to not be in many ways, you know, even though I was kind of oh, always like, oh, I'm a Gracie and all these things. And you're kind of playing that role. Um, my life, my path very much flipped that on its head, you know. So I, you know, went through a really heavy process of starting a business that failed, that ended up being a really big mess, you know, and ended up being like this thing where on a public level, it became like a scapegoating thing. And I was my my whole image was you know dragged through the coals and it's mm. and it was this thing of like i'm a bad guy who was trying to take advantage of jujitsu athletes when it was like absolutely you know the opposite you know it was like we were paying people way too much money and we couldn't manage our balance sheet and it was trying to take the risk of becoming a mainstream venture right and at the same time balance that with you know jujitsu is this is like smaller than ping pong and mm. and you know, it's not really a mainstream sport that, you know, no major carriers, you know, are going to distribute it. Yeah. And so we're, we're still ahead of time with, with that venture. And so yeah. we we're still not, the timing still wouldn't be right today to spend that kind of money on, on trying to go mainstream. And so it was a huge risk, you know, and I think the only thing that I really did right was, was kind of have the courage to push on to the degree that I did, because I, I really should have pulled back much earlier is what yeah. I now realize. But, you know, it's also just part of my path. And so, um, yeah. And so that was kind of, for me, that losing a lot of money and friends and having a business venture go down was really kind of the start of my coming full circle to to my family and, and mm -hmm. my jujitsu for me and for everything. Wow, that's fascinating. I, I followed Metamorris for a number of years and was curious what you were doing given the state of jujitsu and it's it's um almost in its infancy even though to us it seems like everybody knows jujitsu and to most people they're like what the hell is that 
Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious, you said that fall was sort of your return to the family. Do you think, or, or how did you navigate what I would imagine is courage that comes inherent with being a Gracie, using that courage to actually step away from the standard Gracie path? Because I remember asking you at lunch, what did your family think about you wanting to be a filmmaker and such and such? And, and I've told this story, I hope you don't mind, a bunch of times. And I was like, and the guy looked at me and he went, well, my family's over 300 people. And it, it wasn't then till I, th- I think I got the gravity and the weight of, oh, it's not five guys or two uncles. Like there's a clan of these people that energetically, spiritually, DNA wise have like fed into you and do feed into you. So how did you navigate using the same courage that they gave you to perhaps step away from them? If that question makes sense. Yeah, I think it's again, it's kind of the the hero's journey thing. It's very cliche at this point, but it's like my life just getting to the point where I had to lose enough for, mm-hmm. for what I thought was myself. Mm-hmm. To then go, oh, okay, like this is actually who I am, you know. And then mm-hmm. having that confidence to just be the be the thing that is the unique part of who I am, and at the same time marry that with the part that is always going to be the Gracie part, that is mm-hmm. the part that I come from, right? And that's every human being has this in their story, you know. You're you have what you come from. And then you have what makes you unique. Mm. That's always going to be true, right? And so for in my case, I think it was just a little more extreme maybe than more most of my peers or you know, most of the references that I had. Yeah. And so that was, that was it. Okay. Mm. Would you mind sharing with us? Most of this audience understands the hero's journey. I've talked about it. I had Jungian analysts in everything I built came from my own personal fall and rock bottom. Mm -hmm. How did you, or what was your process is probably a better question. You know, the business is done. Your name's been dragged through the coals. You're probably not feeling that awesome about life. What is step one after breakfast that day for you personally? Yeah, man, it was many years of breakfast where, you know, Things were very lonely. And uh, part of that loneliness that I think I wanted, because I think what happens at that point is a lot of people, they will like succumb to other people's definitions of them just to maintain relationships and try to keep things at an even keel. And rather for me, I took it as an opportunity to truly be a a loner, you know, which is something that I wanted for the first time. Mm -hmm. Sorry, not that I wanted for the first time, but was something that I was really enjoying, like on a level that I didn't realize I would. And it was something that, you know, it just taught me so much about human nature and that like, you know, the loneliness of, of the real path that you're on as a human. And even though we're part of tribes and we, we want to find people that are like-minded and we want to find people we can trust, and that's really important, you also kind of really have to trust yourself, you know, 
So there's this duality of like, how much have you really built the trust within yourself versus how much are you leaning on your group or your tribe or your people to really find your trust for yourself? And I think that's one of the biggest problems in our society today is that a lot of the youth, they're not developing trust. And so there's not a, you know, the, the circle of trust, the trust of self, the challenges that you have to overcome in order to find that. And so, you know, that's what it's been for me is just on a daily basis, you know, finding that trust in myself. And, and part of that is really listening. And so I actually, I had a dream that this was years into this kind of call it a depression, which to me, the word depression is kind of misused. I have, I have like different definitions of it. And I don't necessarily take all the, the I don't take the very clinical de definition of it, but the idea of depression is like a really big inhale. You know, it's like, you're really, really introvert. You're really pulling in. And so for me, that was important because I was always an extrovert. I was always giving a lot and sharing a lot and putting, you know, ex expressing a lot. And so really taking a lot in and really absorbing and saying, okay, which actually can be very destabilizing because you're kind of a different, like you're kind of a whole different operational, you, you operate differently in that way, of course, than someone who's just being a direct sphere and being effective with whatever your mission is. And that's why it can be so limiting and, and put you in a very deep low, you know, to be too long in a serious depression. But for me, like that was, that was something that after a couple of years of that, I really in living in Colorado and moving out of LA and having nature and being able to kind of just refresh myself. I, I had a dream that I needed to study the roots of jujitsu. And that I didn't actually know what jujitsu was. And I had this very visceral dream that was, you know, it was like, it was like this, just this really powerful message of, of a voice and, and, a, and a visual and everything all at the same time, you know, and I woke up and I went, whoa, like, I don't know what jujitsu is. And I have to go and study with these other masters of different styles to know what jujitsu is for myself, because this whole time, I kind of have been like playing a role as a Gracie and as someone who's supposed to know what this is. And, you know, and I would say that, you know, you could look at that and say, well, that you're only really, you're having that experience because you're in your mid, you know, thirties and you don't even know what your family's art is and all these things. How can you have that experience coming from the belly of the beast? Mm. And part of that is, you know, I'm, I'm at the peak of kind of denying who I am. Mm. And at the same time, I'm at the point in my life where I really do need to have a deeper level of faith in what, in what my actions are going to be moving forward. Mm. And it's, that's essentially part of the same coin. Mm. And so for me, that was the, the next step, you know. And so that's, that's ultimately what happened. I took that dream and that vision and I've set off and started training with masters of different styles. I took a camera and, and again, this is where it, my personal understand, my personal passion for filmmaking and music and all these other arts, artistic ventures merged with my roots of martial arts and culture. 
and that's where I really started to fuse and become this this version of my authentic self that I was not willing to do yet because I was not in that deep of a fear and, a, and in that dear, deep of a position of loss to where I would be willing to even take that kind of leap of faith that I could even then move forward and progress as into this phase of my life. And so that was the breakthrough. And then now I'm really on this, this part of the hero's journey where I'm going to go and face the beast and, and have to fight. And, and that became a three-year journey of making of what became a documentary film and confluence. And so, yeah. And now I'm, I'm kind of following that whole energy. And, and then that refreshed all of my understanding of martial arts and jujitsu mm. and gave me a sense of like, oh, my responsibility as a, as a person in this family with this legacy, you know, I need to bring, I need to do jujitsu in the most authentic way for myself, but I also need to bring all of my gifts to marry into what that is as well. Otherwise, I'm not really respecting my my own predecessors. I'm not respecting what my dad did, mm-hmm. what my uncles did, what my grandfather did. You know, it's kind of like um, it's kind of like what would Jesus do versus mm-hmm. like being your version of Jesus, like what you're supposed to really be. Mm-hmm. That's fucking beautiful, man. Thank you for all of that. Hey, folks, I hope you're loving this conversation uh, with Halleck. I want to talk about a workshop that I'm teaching with the great Dewey Freeman, the absolute goat, the therapist of 50 years, and it's how to work with men. Dewey came to me about a year ago and said, I want to uncivilize the therapy world. And I was like, holy shit, please keep using that word. Uh, And he talked to me about how he wants to work with therapists, coaches, high-level consultants, anybody who works with men on how to do it significantly better. Now, this is a guy who's been therapy, being a therapy, a therapist rather, longer than Halleck and I have been alive. So he knows his shit. And I have worked with men for the last almost decade in a very, very intimate way. If you are interested, if you work with men, or if you know someone who works with men or wants to work with men, please go to manuncivilized.com forward slash work with men and check out the two workshops that we have coming up this year. Okay, back to Halleck. I love your point specifically, Halleck, about trust. Uh, I don't know if you've ever listened to a woman named Carolyn Mace, M-Y-S-S. She's, uh, I think, in her late 60s, early 70s, a theology scholar and teacher, but she's also from Chicago. So she's like zero bullshit, zero spiritual bypass. Uh, And I was recently listening to a book of hers saying that the the crisis that you were speaking of, the epidemic right now, is not a lack of faith in the divine. It's That's secondary. What the crisis is, is a lack of personal faith and personal trust, rather. And until we have that, we can't really trust anything beyond ourselves. So how fascinating that you got, even though I imagine it was quite painful, put through this process to relearn, or maybe for the first time, learn on a really deep, authentic level what it is to trust yourself. I'm curious, given some of the words you've used and and the ways you've spoken, uh, were you a student of philosophy of Jung, of psychology, or is this sort of commonplace in just from the circles that you hang out in and the people that you speak in? Do you have formal training in this, in psychology and in Jungian ways? 
No, I was I was always interested in in psychology, but my I th- I feel like being in my family and in martial arts in general, and in especially in the Gracie family, a lot of the culture that has been handed down was one of a certain type of level of reflection, and mm. you know, so it definitely is baked in. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously there's blind spots and obviously you have different you have generational gaps and you have cultural gaps coming from brazil to america but for the most part there was a lot of reflection and a lot of this idea of just because and one of the most beautiful things about it is just the idea of being prepared for the complete unknown mm. right it's like how do you train people to be ready for the unknown mm-hmm. so you have a lot of these very like extreme circumstances that caused you to go okay like am i going to show up and get my ass whooped you know or am i going to show up and survive mm-hmm. and so and how you better be a reflective type of person you better have certain you know things that you're really testing and thinking about and you know, everything down to what you're eating every day becomes mm-hmm. a lot more significant you know mm-hmm. and so um even me right now, like I'm in, I'm in decent shape, but if I knew I had a fight in two months that I was preparing for, I wouldn't make, I mean, half the decisions I'm making, I would be 90% tighter on Mm -hmm. what I was actually doing Mm -hmm. at any given time, you know? So, and I would be much more streamlined with, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's so much that you change when, and, and that's where my, my father and his mindset a lot of it was someone's going to come and knock on the door at any moment to fight, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I still have that, you know, right now where I'm, I have to be ready to fight right now against mm-hmm. anybody. Mm-hmm. Literally. I kind of have that, like that wiring, you know, yeah. in my head. And so that does a lot because now you're constantly, you're contemplating, you're thinking about, you know, what's my worldview? What's my all the way down to what does my day look like and what does the moment look like and what am I ready for? And so not that everything is perfect, not even close, but you just, the reflection is, is there for sure. Yeah. Whereas think about somebody who's just like, you know, just kind of starting to get their ducks in a row and they're thinking, okay, I got my job. I got my shit. All right, cool. I'm just kind of going through the motions. Okay. You know, uh, yeah. You're not, you know, so this is kind of to what degree you want to contemplate Yeah. when it becomes, when it hits home and it's a physical survival piece, mm. it, it's, it's much more primal in a mm. lot of ways. You know, mm. and I think people don't, aren't necessarily privy to that. Um, and at, at, at the same time, I think that's why jujitsu is becoming very popular right now in the world. And, and martial arts always will have a place in the world because I think re- ultimately one of the reasons why like and this is kind of part of my new mission with Genzai is that and it's not even new, it's just continuing on the same wave. But the idea that like art, art has a place in society and martial art is a unique form of art where the physical component is the pathway to the, let's say the enlightenment. You're, you have to go through the physical to then reach a, a spiritual and a mental peak. Mm. Whereas in other forms of art in our society, and it's become so decadent, but like you have, you know, 
so many different like fashion and all these magazines and all this culture of like art and you know artists and people making you know paint beautiful paintings and all these things and i i think it's wonderful but in a lot of ways it's it to me what i look when i look at it and a lot of the stuff that i think you know becomes a little bit hard for people to translate is that and i think becomes less useful in a society is that people don't have a way of grounding that to themselves personally and so there's not a physical component that you actually have to traverse in the same way right necessarily and and there's different forms of art but like you know for for a cameraman who's an artist cameraman who's really artistic about capturing certain shots like there's a physical component about how you have to get into the position and you have to kind of be you know if you're a sport photographer it's probably a little more intense if you're a nature photographer probably even more if you're in the himalayas and you want to you know so there's a journey process that's kind of what i'm talking about where martial arts has a very similar very direct and almost in in you cannot you know you can't sidestep this this path of you're going to have to break yourself down mm. and to me that's the part that i think a lot of people don't understand when they're making fun of these like traditional martial artists that are doing like more internal external arts and and you see different exp- expressions of different styles is that people are like oh yeah well that's not going to work that's not effective and this and that and it's like well here you are sitting on the couch talking about what's effective number 1 Number two, like you don't actually know what physical pressure this person has gone through to reach the point of where they are as far as how transcendent their their perception of martial arts is. And in a sense, it's like that's the part that you kind of can't take away from anybody. And, you know, so and obviously I'm getting a little bit on a tangent now, but that's that's the thing that for me is like kind of is the through line for all martial arts mm. is that at the end of the day you have to kind of break yourself down and then you kind of go through a, a change and that transformation and then the art is your ability to be adaptable is your ability to deal with very real life things that are happening around you and and your transcendence your your mental capacity and your spiritual capacity can do so much for you in terms of what you can do in your life and how you can perceive things and and ultimately from my experience you have to go through a physical process in order to reach that and so the great masters some of them that might even be doing like some wushu stuff that you don't understand they probably have already from when they were three broken themselves down to such a degree that they're doing a whole different kind of art at this point you know and so and it's not for everybody necessarily but i think it's it's interesting you know thank you yeah that's i love it i don't know if you can see behind me but we have the gorilla and the buddha are the two tenets basically the primal and the divine of uncivilized of the movement of the ideology that we're giving to men and when i first put it out in the world so much of the feedback I got back that was positive was thank you for, for re-engaging with the primal. 
it feels like we're trying to bypass the physicality and bypass our primal nature and jump right to the enlightenment, jump right to the, I don't have years of training. I've never been on the mat, but I can navigate life just with my thoughts and I can eat like shit. I cannot take care of myself and none of that will ever matter. Yet a, a quick Google search of what fucks men up a lot in the world is heart disease, diabetes. These, these are not spiritual problems. These are primal physical problems. So I really appreciate that view. I'm curious if you could speak. I have so many damn questions, Alec. Uh, but, but first, how would you marry jujitsu specific, the primal, which I've, and I've, I'll say this to everybody listening. Like I've watched this man roll with my own eyes do jujitsu with my own eyes, not on a video, but in person. And it's very primal. You're strong, you're athletic, you move with strength, you move with power. And yet the discussion afterwards of what worked, what didn't felt very, for lack of a better term, divine. Or you were bringing in terms such as the masculine feminine energies, gratitude versus, you know, receiving versus giving, et cetera. So I'm curious, two questions while they're in my head. How do you see these two energies playing out in jujitsu? And then because this is a primarily a male audience, I'm really curious, given the amount of men and the caliber of men that you've been around, how do you also see the marrying of these two or the interplay of these two helping men live more successful lives? I know that was a mouthful. No, man, I, I think what see it comes down to really interesting like really simple things to me because like just take the idea of tension right like tension and the ways in which people respond to tension mm. it's as simple as literally one response changing the entire path of your life and the, and then your ability your propensity to respond in a frozen tense manner is actually very normal especially for men meaning and, and if you look at the way people men are training in the gym to flex and mm -hmm. push a certain amount of weight and it's this it, everything builds up to this like full blast of your tension and all of your strength and then all of your and it's kind of comparing that to the idea of just being able to lift that same amount of weight but without changing your facial expression or with with a, an amount of tension that is appropriate but not more mm. and like and so that level of sense that's a level of sensitivity now that becomes very useful mm. when when you're dealing with any kind of tension in the physical realm and in the mental emotional communication realm of course somebody is yelling at you or comes up in your face and you respond with a full tense reaction you're fully exposed at that point mm. right whereas if somebody comes in my face and yells at me and gets loses their mind and i respond with water and now they don't even know where I'm at. And now they have to throw some other thing out there or that already completely changes their demeanor. That's more of what, what you're dealing with. You know, and I think 
what happens in jujitsu, what I'm from my experience and teaching a lot of people over many, many years, especially new people, you learn so much because you have a data pool, a data set of, I've taught probably 3000 plus intro jujitsu classes where someone's brand new coming off the street mm-hmm. and everything from children to, a, you know, grown men or older men and women. And what you find in general is that people, you're, what you end up training people to do is to not overreact to being grabbed. Mm. Not, like literally 80% of learning jujitsu is that your nervous system can actually calm way down when somebody just grabs you. And you don't react like, and, and you freeze up your entire body. And so, because think about it, if somebody, if it's like, it's like this, if you have a pole, that's a metal, a wooden pole, let's say even that's a hundred pounds, let's say even 200 pounds to even be the weight of a man, right? A, a, A larger man, a 200 pound pole, that's a sphere that is, you know, not even more than let's say three inches in, in diameter. And from and it's standing there, but it's kind of stuck in the ground. So it's holding its own weight, right? And I come up and I grab it and just lift it out of the ground. How easy do you think that's going to be versus if I come up and grab it and the moment I touch it, it becomes the tension level of like a python that mm-hmm. isn't even squeezing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or even a python that's squeezing something. It's a completely different sensation. Now you have even that variance of like 15, 20% tension changes the my ability to control that vessel to 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 a degree that everything changes, you know. And so I've had experiences mountain biking where I'm going full speed. I'm, I did a lot of downhill mountain biking when I lived in Colorado and absolutely love it super intense is one of the more dangerous uh, mm-hmm. ways to approach mountain biking and very high risk and and you're essentially do what you're doing is you'll climb for you know an hour uh, you'll ascend and then you'll end up just riding down for you know depending how fast you are you end up riding down for like 15 10 minutes you know but you're really everybody's doing it for that downhill moment mm-hmm. and I'm racing down this hill one time and more than once, but there's one specific time that's clear in my mind where I'm racing downhill and I come up on the side of this thing where I'm basically like, I'm basically like gonna fall and all, my whole body is, and my, my mind and my nervous system is going, okay, you're going down. And what's interesting was my body and my nervous system, my response, and I was losing my angle and I kind of came up on the berm a little bit and then my, my tire was going to slide and I was going to lose my position. But my, my physical and my, my response in that very moment, and this is like split second timing, right? You have no time. So it, it, this is like what, like it's like the matrix, like Neo kind of like timing because everything slows down. Mm. And what did I do? I, I relaxed to like 70% and I didn't fall. And I just kind of, and I just kept going. Mm. And 
what do you think most men would do in that situation? Stiffen they up. Would, yeah. They would fall. They would stiffen up completely. And then they wouldn't have the ability to adjust to this new tire angle. Mm. And they would, and then you'd see a fall. And it would be very normal. Nobody would even be mad. Everyone would just be like, yeah, of course. Like, I fell. Of course you fell. Look how fast it's going down the mountain. Yeah. The abnormal thing is to be in that situation under that kind of pressure and not fall. Mm. And, and that requires a certain type of training and physical, mental, spiritual transcendence where you, where you can marry the moment differently. Mm. And, you know, that's, that's why martial arts to me is one of the, and, you know, is, and there's other forms of activity that crop that kind of align with this same idea one of them being like a like a downhill mountain biking. If you become really good at that, to me, you're almost you're the same as being a martial artist in many ways. You don't have the same additional benefits of being able to defend yourself against another human, which is a very unfortunately a pretty high priority added value in our society. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the things that you're learning in terms of your mechanics and how you survive and maintain in that kind of circumstance. And under that kind of pressure consistently, it's very similar in terms of how you have to marry your awareness and your physical uh, awareness and capacity. And so that's that's kind of the long answer longer to your question, I think. Um, but that's that's one of the things that, you know, for me, when I think of martial arts and again, like why I'm doing Genzai and why I'm so hyped on just content like film and doing really interesting work in martial arts and exploring it more across all styles is that it's basically to me it's one of the greatest human resources that we have access to in terms of really helping people transcend and and break through a lot of their own mud and limitations and even just getting past the hero's journey like being able to actually break through different parts of that different chapters of the hero's journey mm. if you train martial arts it can help you i think more than a lot of other things if that makes sense yeah it does make sense halleck would you then say that at the root or the foundational level of your philosophy and i'll project that term onto you is this relationship between tension and relaxation or tension and release is that a fair statement? That's just, that's just one component, but that's a very big one, right? Mm. And so it's just, yeah, that's one idea. Okay. Is like how you manage tension is one great example of, you know, man, there's so many ways to extrapolate that, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would love to ask you, and I do want to get to Genzai before we finish the interview. What is your relationship between somatic feeling and thought, like intellectual thought, when you're discerning or making a decision or teaching or, or just not specifically when you're training? And the reason I'm asking the question is I remember people asking you questions at our workshop and in our session and you taking a deep breath and it didn't look like you went up into your head. It looked like you went down into your body. And again, I could be projecting this. And the answer came with a simplicity that often isn't intellectual. The intellectual answer is going to be a seven paragraph 
thing mm-hmm. and a chart and a graph. And instead your answer was almost like a grunt. It was like, yeah. mm. and then, so I'm curious, do you, what is your relationship? Not to your body, because I get it. You're a, a martial artist, but to the feelings that are going on in your body. And how does that relate to what's going on in your head as a philosopher? Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting one. Well, I don't know. That's a hard one to answer, I think. I, but I think that what you're alluding to is more of what I specialize in, which is helping people understand how to have a more effective response to another body mm. on, in close quarters with, mm-hmm. with no time. And that teaching somebody that is com- very complex, but in a lot of ways is something that I'm always trying to make more simple. Mm. And it's something that in a lot of ways we can't overcomplicate because if we do, we're doing our students a disservice because if I'm training you to defend yourself when there's no time and when you're overwhelmed and under stress and someone's trapping you with their entire body weight, I can only, I'm not going to, I can, I have to be very careful about what information I think to give you and what, what I'm, what you're going to perceive as a possible solution under that circumstance is actually going to bury you if I don't give you a very simple answer. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm just trying to give you something that will then allow you to from a from a really from a nervous system standpoint make an effective response mm-hmm. which is actually complicated again but very is should be very limited in terms of overall content volume. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, that's that, that that does make sense in watching your approach to teaching. Uh, I, I left that first workshop. I think I sent you this on Instagram and said it was profound in the the level of conceptual simple simplicity that you gave us, as opposed to here are seven new moves, here's twelve new ways to hit a triangle. It was don't let anybody pass your ten yard line, and mm-hmm. okay, let's work on this. Let's work on this. Let's work on this. Uh, Last yeah. question before go ahead. And if there's something you'd like to add to that. No, I just just that um, you know, I'm glad that you felt that. And also, you know, there's a lot of people who can fight well. There's a lot of top competitors in jujitsu who can go out there and do certain things against certain people. There's a lot of things that are changing in the in the sport and in the culture in terms of like what's trending, what's cool. And what I try to do is, um, and I guess, you know, definitely like one of my influences from my dad was very much being a compassionate teacher, like really, really looking at yourself as a teacher. And so even though I've fought as well, and I always try to be as good as I can be as an athlete and, and as a competitor and as a fighter, I'm also coming from the brain of someone who really wants to help people. Mm-hmm. And, and not everybody is on that level. You know, you have a lot of people, you can get a world champion in the room. They're not necessarily going to know how to give you what they have. Mm -hmm. And what I've found in my experience is a lot of that ability to give somebody something that they can really use in a short period of time training 
And to be able to transfer that knowledge is actually, um, it's almost like, um, you know, it, it almost is, is like a, a, a it, it's like a very fast dichotomy that becomes like a, a oxymoron of like, what are we even talking about? Just feel mm -hmm. this, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you have to kind of break down that barrier because what most people try to do is become these teachers that are so profound and they're going to sit there and give you a dialogue. And then you leave feeling like, Ooh, I think I learned something that was really special. But then you go back and you train the next day mm. and your, your abilities and your capacity, you're, you might've even gone more in the hole because now you're just confused. Mm -hmm. So it's a very elusive thing to be able to really teach someone martial arts. Mm. And also it's kind of like, based on based on what the goal is like what is what is the goal of your students what are they really trying to learn versus what they really are what they're trying to be cool in learning or what they're pretending they want to learn mm -hmm. and and ultimately like that's that's a really important distinction like also why am i teaching you what do you really want to learn mm -hmm. do you want to know how to fight or do you want to win a jiu-jitsu tournament mm -hmm. or do you want to do both mm -hmm. and why and so, and then that's going to inform what you need to really train and how and with who. And so there's a kind of a whole, and I just became fascinated with this uh, more in the last like five years. It's really been a game changer for my students and stuff. So, which again was kind of all parsed, all just kind of in alignment with my own journey. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. I taught a workshop actually not too far from you. In, uh, in Nashville about six months ago and had a diagram. It was for quote, nice guys, like guys who fall into that syndrome of not really having personal power and, and kind of uh, shape-shifting to fit in wherever they can in society. And I had a dream, I'm looking at this, this chart on my wall, had a dream of this chart coming in and drew it on a paper and held it up to the class and said, this was my dream. If I say anything about it, I'm going to make it more confusing than it is. But you guys don't know what I'm talking about when I just hold it up. So allow me to say a couple words, but I'm not going to say much here because I think it's complete as it is. And so I get that sort of mm -hmm. meeting point of, I don't want to over intellectualize this, but you need yeah. some context. So I really appreciate that, Alec. Let's switch to Genzai. What is your what is your hope with this? What is your dream with this? Other than a method and a, a medium for your authentic artistic expression, what do you hope the medium does to the collective? Well, that's interesting because you said other than an expression of my artistic perspective. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is that this is a platform that is is basically an it, basically became possible because of this whole journey and because of the physical moving toward the creative. And so it's just, it's kind of all one thing. And it was, and it's a couple pillars, but it's me expressing myself. It's me being able to actually see, like removing the blinders and seeing, oh, this is what's out here. This is martial arts. Like this is mm. the culture that I'm a part of that I can't separate from. And all I can do now is bring light to the whole thing rather than pick and choose or try to limit what is what I think is going to make me feel good 
like no this is this is what's here and all that's going to do is bring more context and bring more bring ultimately bring more value to me as a martial artist and other people who are trying to kind of follow this path and want to learn more mm. and so that's that's been the result and it's been incredible uh, being able to work with different amazing uh, athletes and teachers and masters of different styles and and it really just kind of came off of this um pulling the strings tight and kind of tying tying up my laces on this whole and really kind of cutting my teeth making this first uh, major like feature length film that became confluence and so yeah yeah it's uh it's exciting so just getting up the platform now we're up and running uh our beta website is up and we're we're getting it moving and we have uh, the confluence film is available on there and we also have uh verdaji which is a series that we did with eight athletes from around Tennessee that are relatively unknown, but that we put together in a way that's, I think, very um, kind of unprecedented and unique in terms of being able to follow them leading up to a competition and mm. learning more about their journey and their struggles as young men trying to kind of break into the game. And uh, so, yeah, and we've got a lot of interesting stuff coming up very soon. And so it's, it's exciting. Beautiful, man. Good for you. Can I ask then if I go back to my question and reframe it? Did you think of the collective when you were creating this or was it, I just want to do this for me. I just want to explore this for me. Or was there an eye on the public or an eye on, I know it's so hard as artists. Like I've written two books and I wrote them both for myself and then gave them to editors who were like, ah, if you want people to understand this, you're going to have to change this, this, this. And certain times I was like, no, I'm not changing a damn thing. And other times like, okay, shit, I have to bend here to, to have it be palatable. Was your original intention just an expression of your own art or was it also with the collective in mind? Yeah, no, I think very similar to you in that sense uh, where it was, the idea was to have it's you it's interesting because and it's the sim, it's the same thing we're talking about in martial arts where your ability to respond to a threat or to a pressure or to anything you almost kind of have to have this like unlimited you kind of have a you have this funnel that is the entire world that's coming to you right and now and it's kind of like being able to take on everything that you're seeing but then truncate it and pass it on from your view in a way that is authentic and, and gives respect to all of that. And so I think I kind of lost my point there. I might have, I don't know if that even made sense, but the idea was like, I, again, it was like I was on a journey for myself to learn about these different styles. Mm -hmm. And I'll just tell you like the feeling that developed, what ended up happening was as I started to train and learn about these other styles, I had a very strong sense that my responsibility level was shifting in terms of needing to ultimately do justice to the tapestry that is martial arts and 
ultimately I have to keep it real and I have to do it from my perspective because that was my experience. And as a martial artist, I, I was seeing things that I think a lot of people won't necessarily see, but at the same time, I have to give justice to what is there. And that's one of the interesting things about film, about the idea of being a cinematographer and actually standing with a camera, wanting to capture something that's taking place in front of you. And it's, it's arguably the whole art, but it's the idea of how do you accurately depict what is taking place, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, there's so many ways to trick or to pretend or to hide or to build or to create something that's not even there. Mm -hmm. There's so much to do that it's kind of like, you know, that's one of the things that makes a better filmmaker because you can have, you can have a camera the same camera in the hands of 10 people in the same area at the same time, you're going to get 10 different, completely different portrayals of that same exact instance. Mm. So for me, the, the responsibility was, how do I capture this in a way that is authentic to me and authentic to them mm. at the highest possible level? And then whatever that ends up being, the cards are going to fall wherever they fall. Like everything's going to basically come off of that. And, and that I can't control that. Wow. And so it's, it's an interesting thing because it starts with like what you're able to capture. And then, and then it's kind of like having the courage to just be there and actually engage and care and fully appreciate what's in front of you. And then kind of take the call of, oh man, like I didn't actually capture that right. I got to go run 20 feet that way, climb a brick wall, walk across it, shoot this way. Otherwise, I'm completely missing the point on this whole scene. And I'm not doing this person justice or their art or their culture. And so it's a, it's a very tricky medium in that sense, you know, and that's one of the things that's beautiful about filmmaking, but it's also one of the things that I think is, is people don't realize is the stress of like mm. having to actually really tell that story. And so, you know, one of the biggest compliments that I get on Confluence on the film is that basically the visual storytelling is very, is very um, good. It's very good. And it's something that, you know, I take pride in because that was kind of like the again, me coming together with like my roots and everything that I come from, and then really expressing myself, really trying to challenge myself as someone to, to really capture that. And ironically, it was like the whole thing to me was martial arts. Mm. I was able to do that because I was a martial artist. Mm -hmm. I, I cared as much as I did because I was a martial artist. I saw the things that I saw because I was a martial artist. Mm. And now I have to take that same energy into any project that I do, you know, anything, whether I'm shooting a music video or I'm doing some other venture that has nothing to do with martial arts as a filmmaker, that's the challenge is like, I'm still doing it as a martial artist. That's what makes me authentic. That's what makes the style really work for me. And it makes me unique. And it also is like, you know, and so, yeah, like when I'm a martial artist capturing other martial artists, that's Genzai, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, 
that's something that is is a uh, is is pretty pretty cool and pretty powerful you know especially with everything i come from i'm able to now like tell these stories and and give people a deeper reference for something that you know is has really kind of put me in my place ultimately because i thought i was pretty cool until i started really seeing up close how much culture how much history how much integrity how much discipline you have across so many styles for so many thousands of years it's like bro like we're i'm a tip of an iceberg that yeah you know and so that's what we're doing ultimately with genzai is like there's a tip of an iceberg and then we're now just exploring the iceberg and it Mm -hmm. will take my whole life to do and i will still won't even get it done beautiful man it's, it's like watching and hearing about your individuation, right? Like the completeness and wholeness of you being expressed through a medium. It's absolutely fucking beautiful. Uh, thank you for that whole, whole piece. Yeah. Uh, in, in closing, I'm curious. And then at the end, I'd love to have people find out where they can find you and, and all of that. But given the complexity of where you come from, right? And what you've lived through and what you've already experienced as a relatively young man in the large, larger sense of the word, what are you curious about next? Like what is, and I'm not asking what your next goal is, but like what, what makes you, what, what brings aliveness to you? What's juicy to you and energetic to you moving forward? Oh man, so much. Dude, I'm a, I mean, we're like I said, I'm on a lifelong mission to bring context to martial arts. Like that's impossible. Mm-hmm. And so what's juicy is that I'm I'm essentially just I'm on a mission to climb Mount Everest, but like 10,000 Mount Everests on mm-hmm. top of each other and all I'm doing is taking one step at a time. And so every step is juicy because it's like, man, I'm not going the other way. I'm not going to go backwards. Mm-hmm. I'm just going this way. And it's every step is like, now there's a new tree. There's a new rivet. There's a new thing. It's like, and I'm getting new levels of height, of vision of like, ooh, these things are now possible. These things are accessible. And so, you know, it's fascinating, man. Like you have UFC is very popular right now. You have UFC fighters who are stars, and then you have jujitsu fighters who are will choke out these UFC fighters, but they're relatively unknown. And then you have karate masters in Okinawa who know things and who train things for ever for their whole lives, and they have a punching style that not one person in the UFC really understands. Mm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's it's so elusive and it's yeah. like, oh, well, you can't really say that. And like, no, these are the best fighters and this and like, that's cool. And yes, there's people who are competing and they're doing really well and everybody's making money. That's great. But at the same time, like you have to love like how much of it you can't contain, you can't grasp, you know? And that's one of the things that's so elusive about martial arts is it goes beyond sport it's about survival it's about your body your mind your spirit it's about how you engage with anything and i think one of the beautiful things about the mma thing being so popular is that 
it's like it, it kind of is pulling people. It's attracting people in a way that's like, okay, there's a signpost, mm. but you don't actually even know where else to go. It's like you get there and you're kind of like, okay, cool. All right. There's another fight next weekend, but there's no, the depth mm. is not really there. And it's not anybody's fault. Like UFC is doing a great job. Dana White, they're building a big company. It's, it's a huge industry, huge company now because of their efforts. But it's like their job is not to also do everything and bring all the context to everything. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's extremely exciting to be able to participate in, in exploring and revealing more of that complexity. And I think that's my destiny. Like mm -hmm. I'm not going to be doing anything else at this moment. Awesome, man. Obviously, my family, my kids, and all of my hobbies that I love and going and surfing and all that when I take trips to Costa Rica and other places. But other than that, it's uh, it's just enjoying this process. Beautiful answer. Thank you. And thank you for your time, your energy, just the way you approach this. I love when philosophy and intellect and depth meets the brutality of jujitsu. Right. And, and how you can carry both so gracefully for, you know, no pun intended. Uh, so just thank you for coming in and, and being who you are and sharing how you have. Yeah, brother. Yeah, man. I mean, that's like what you just said is very real, you know, like, and that, that's honestly what like, I felt like when I was making my film, I did it alone. And if you, I want you to watch it. Have you seen the first part that we put on YouTube for free? Okay. So the whole thing is available now and we're doing, there's a three day free trial too for the, for the whole platform. So you can go watch the whole movie right now, as long as you binge in three days, but essentially the, the whole film I did myself with the, obviously the subjects that are in the film, which is huge and their participation is, is uh, I'm indebted to forever, but essentially like without a cat, without a crew, without trucks without lights without mm. anything like the only way that that happened it was a it was straight up tension and release it mm. was a straight up fight it mm -hmm. was a it was a it was a fucking bar burner mm -hmm. every time i'm going out and there were things and like dude i would spend for we sh i shot for like over a year the film and I would like during any shooting, any of this, I'm drenched in sweat, like the entire day, you know, so people like that's, that's where it's just like the, the coming to terms with like, you have to, the physical is the main barrier mm. for all of this stuff happening for me to be able to capture a, a moment and project it through into a timeless medium, like, like digital film. and but and that relay of getting to the point where you actually have this final product that's cohesive that entire stretch of process and 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 pain and struggle and time and everything is is like that's that's why you in order to make if, if you were going to go make my film get a hollywood production company get any major um studio and say, hey, go recreate this film that Holly Gracie just made. Their budget for that film is easily going to be twenty million plus, right? And so, how does that happen? Why is that? Because they're going to need, they're going to have fifty people, 
40 people that part of that process. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not, and they're going to hire all of these people that I went and organically met and, and built relationships with and trained with and sweat with, and they respected me and they gave me their rapport. They're, you know, imagine, and then not only that, let's not even call it a documentary, try doing it live action where everybody's actors. Mm-hmm. That's a hundred million dollar film now. Mm-hmm. So it's incredible, you know, what it can do to just engage and connect mm-hmm. and trust and have faith and, and be willing to, t- to stomach the pain for that vision, that mix, that, that crossing that threshold is I, I give thanks to all martial arts and to my history and to my family, my dad, because mm-hmm. I was that was something that I was gifted. Mm-hmm. You know? So that gave me that ability to even have faith in my vision. That's priceless. Yeah, man. What a beautiful way to to wrap it up. Thank you for that. It's monumentally inspiring. And and even just helps me as a lifetime martial artist recontextualize why I drive down to the academy day after day, week after week, et cetera, despite not wanting to fight ever again, but knowing well, that there's so that, much juice well, in there. And, and not 100%. And not only that, what I would say is I would challenge you to make sure that you take all of that, you extrapolate it, and then you go and you actually enforce it on your vision, on your quest. And that you actually use it and mine it for what it's giving you. And you push, not only that, you push it to the limit to where you feel like you're going to break every part of yourself. And then you keep going Mm -hmm. because why are you going to wait? You know what I mean? Like you've already been training jujitsu for how long? 16 years. Okay. Take it and just run. What are you waiting for? Like go, go do your, go climb Mount Everest and I'll see you in a year. You know what I mean? And we'll, let's talk about it. Oh yeah. Thank you, brother. Thank you. <laughs> uh, where, Alec, where can people find you? Where can people find the film? Where can people find your work? Where would anybody who's listening to this, who wants more Halleck Gracie or Genzai, where, where do they go? Thank you, man. Yeah. It's, it would be a huge deal to get any support from anyone who would like to see what we're doing and hopefully get it very inspired by the films that we're making on Genzai.world. And that's, that's the main website for Genzai. Uh, if you look at our like Instagram, everything is backslash uh, Genzai world as one word. And that has, you know, all of the, you know, you, like even our YouTube is backslash Genzai world. Uh, we have some free stuff available on there. And then most of the stuff that we're putting onto the platform um, is, is just getting up and running. Let, send us your feedback. Like, I really mean that. If you can send us an email of what you think of the content, even you like watch some stuff and send me an email, tell me what you think, or just you know, shoot me a text. But, um, we're, you know, we're just getting it going and it's right now a beta site. And so mm. we're just you know, getting everything up and running and focusing on more content. And then, um, my Instagram is at, is at Holic vision. And so, yeah, that's it. Just keeping it going. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for being a part of the podcast. I could talk to you for the next seven hours, man. Uh, and I'm walking away inspired both as a jujitsu person, an artist, and and a human, so and a man. Thank you again, Hawk. I appreciate you. Yeah, brother, keep doing your thing, man. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Yep. This is Traver Bohm signing off on another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please give us a share, give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And if you're interested in getting a hold of my book, 
man uncivilized, whether you're a man or a woman, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the book and get reading.